Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Welcome to the third collaborative effort between Ordinary Fellowship and Christ Our Treasure. I'm Jeremy Lee. With me as always is Matthew McLaughlin. Hey, Jeremy. And of course, since... We're doing a collaborative effort with Christ Our Treasure. The host of Christ Our Treasure, Tim Scott, is with us as well. Hey, guys. Hey, we're, we are here again to talk about the Holy Spirit. I kind of messed up the order, though. Uh, we should have probably talked about this subject before we talk, started talking about the works of the Spirit. Um, but it'll all work out in the end, so... Um, so previously, we've talked about uh, the person of the Holy Spirit, who he is, and then uh, we, we talked about uh, one of his works. One of the most important works is his inspiration of Scripture, and along with that, uh, his work of illuminating believers as they read uh, the Scriptures or the Scriptures are preached to them. So some very important things um, Matthew and I did a, um, a podcast not long ago talking about a survey where um, many, many Christians didn't even know, don't even know that the Holy Spirit is a person. Um, now, that word is slippery, I know, but um, they thought that he was a, uh, a force or a symbol of God's presence and power. Um, so... We decided to go in depth uh, talking about the Holy Spirit, and Tim uh, Tim decided to join with us and talking about the Holy Spirit. So here we are uh, today. We want to talk about the revelation of the Holy Spirit in history, which uh, uh, the main <laughs> that happened on the day of Pentecost, as Matthew just read for us, um, some of the history. Uh, from scripture of when the Holy Spirit revealed himself. So um, Pentecost is um, what Christmas is to Christ for the Holy Spirit. So just like Christ in the Old Testament 
it's not as if there were the old testament doesn't say anything about jesus the old testament says a lot about jesus but in the new testament times the lights have come on and so when we look back the old testament we see things more clearly the holy spirit was present in the old testament in fact he shows up in the very first pages of Genesis, first verses of Genesis, in fact. So the Holy Spirit has been there the whole time uh, because he's eternal God, as we've discussed before. But his historical manifestation in in the work of redemption happened on the day of Pentecost, just as Christ's incarnation was his historical manifestation on um, which we celebrate at Christmas. Well, Tim doesn't because he's, you know, a Scrooge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So anyways, which we celebrate at Christmas time. <clears throat> Most of us normal people. Um, first, we don't celebrate Pentecost for some reason, but, you know, whatever. Um, so let's let's talk about that. Um, those, so what I wanted to do today was briefly go over the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the promises. Talk briefly about this uh, chapter in Acts chapter 2 about his historical manifestation at uh, Pentecost, and then spend the bulk of our time talking about the meaning of that and then how the work of the Spirit has changed from the Old to the New Testament. That sounds good. good? Yeah, sounds good. Let's go. So there are Basically, I, I guess to sum up the teaching of the Old Testament, there's many texts, but the theme that we see again and again is the theme of judgment, renewal, and repentance. So that what we understand from the Old Testament, and even Jesus and John the Baptist, what we understand from them is that this coming of the Spirit is going to bring judgment, it's going to bring renewal, it's going to bring repentance. And we see that Jesus in Matthew 24 uh, preached the coming destruction of Jerusalem. Um, That was the judgment uh, against the Jews of the time. And well, they were stacking up wrath (laughs) and God finally let it loose in AD 70 on that generation. So we see judgment. Uh, What we see in the book of Acts is we see especially at the beginning of the book of Acts, many Jewish people coming to faith in Christ. And so we see renewal. We also see their repentance. And then later it's expanded even to the Gentiles. And this is, this is constantly the theme that's preached in the Old Testament. Um, you have passages like Isaiah chapter 32, Ezekiel 39, uh, Joel 2, 28 through 32 is especially important because Peter discusses that in his Pentecostal sermon. So this is the key idea, I think, if we were to dig deeply into what the Old Testament says, that when the Spirit comes, there's going to be judgment, renewal, and repentance. So I'm, I'm done preaching somebody else yeah. well no i mean i, I mean that that's ultimately the just scripture's bigger picture i mean 
the, so the spirit is doing what the scriptures already tell us, you know, the cycle that's already there. I mean, whether it's in the book of Judges, we see it in Genesis, we see it in Exodus and Leviticus, on and on and on, e- even into the New Testament with the promise of going into Revelation, uh, with the promise of that, sa- that same promise that there will be, you know, renewal judgment uh, and, um, you know, restoration, things like that. So uh, all, all, this cycle is, is, is repetitive throughout Scripture. Um, and so, so the Holy Spirit, absolutely, his, his work is, is, is um, you know, fitting in exactly with, with what's already been revealed. Right. And you, you mentioned judges, you know, you see what happens is the cycle happens. And, and when the renewal happens, when the repentance comes about, the spirit comes upon some individual to raise so that they are raised up to be the judge to rescue the people. So we even get a hint of it, not in explicit predictions or prophecies or teaching, but even in the examples that happen in the Old Testament. So any other thoughts on the spirit in the Old Testament? Uh, well, I mean, uh, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into it, you know, because uh, I, I know there's a lot of um, uh, there's a lot to be said about his work. Yeah. And the differences of his work in between the two, uh, the, the two differences, it seems, uh, in, in his work there between the Old and New Testament. Right. We, we will get into that, but I want to lay the groundwork for the what what the Old Testament and New Testament teach, and then we can go there. But then we come, Jesus and John the Baptist basically continue the preaching of the Old Testament, that theme of renewal, uh, judgment, renewal, and repentance. They continue that message, and then we get to the book of Acts, and this is this is where Matthew read. We have the Spirit coming in great power. Um, it's evidenced by the, the loud rushing wind, the tongues of fire, and the people speaking in unknown languages, language unknown to them. Uh, obviously, there were people there that understood the language, hence the reason they reacted the way they did. Uh, and so this is the coming of the Spirit. This is what the Old Testament had promised for so long. It was coming to pass right here and right now in 40 days after Jesus had ascended into heaven. Peter's, uh, we could spend, somebody could preach this chapter and spend a year <laughs> preaching through this chapter. It's so full. Um Peter's sermon, I'll go ahead and read verses 17 through 21 of Acts chapter 2, because this is where he quotes from um, Joel. In verse 16, actually, Peter says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour my spirit out on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So even in that, we see he's quoting Joel, and we see the, the themes of judgment, renewal, and repentance. Uh, 
because the whole the whole point of this Joel passage is the rest. If you go back to the original context, it's the restoration of the people, and He's going to pour out His Spirit on all mankind, and then after that will be the judgment of all man. And Peter's Peter's arguing that what these people just experienced is exactly what Joel predicted in the power of the Spirit hundreds of years before, and they're all seeing it manifested right before their eyes. So any other thoughts on that? No, I think, I think you've, uh, I, th I think you pretty much, um, you know, covered, covered everything with that. And then, so Peter goes on to explain in this passage that this event, the coming of the spirit happened as a result of the resurrection and ascension of Christ. And so because of that, Peter proclaims that Jesus is both Lord and Christ, and then he urges his hearers to repent and believe the gospel because these promises are for them and for their children and for our Presbyterian friends and to those who are far off. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, for them and their babies. They only like part of that verse. Dunk some... them babies. <laughs> so, so Pentecost is, is hugely important. In, the, in God's work of redemption. Not only is it a fulfillment of all that God had promised in the Old Testament, but it's a new beginning. Mm. It's, it's yeah, so basically what it is, right, right. So basically in, in, in the coming of the spirit and what the language is, what you have is God literally reversing um, the curse that he placed at the Tower of Babel. Um, he is he is literally rolling that back, uh, even though obviously we still have, you know, various languages today that <clears throat> I mean, God is God is is starting that process of rolling back that curse through the spirit. Um, and, and so bringing us uh, into unison, not only with him, but also our union with him, but also um, union with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, and I think that dovetails into one of the things that I. I think is the meaning of Pentecost is that that is gap gathering. Sure. Um, so one of the hints at the coming of the spirit in the old Testament is um, the feast of first fruits. And the first fruits were brought as a promise of all the rest. And this I think is what we see in Pentecost. We see the beginning the first fruits are being gathered in here, but the gathering on is gathering in is going to continue till the end of time. But the first fruit is the promise that, that the rest will come. And, and so if you add that to what you said, the curse is starting to be rolled back. Yeah. We already see a hint of that here in Pentecost and well, it's eventually going to be completely taken away. Sure. And, and in that, in that, uh, and my point, I guess my point being, or my point was showing, showing the, 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 the power um, of, of God at work through the Holy Spirit. And, and ultimately the, 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 as you said, the result of his presence. Um, but, but I mean, ultimately, yes. I mean, I mean, it, all of this is happening because of the spirit's power and because of his presence. I guess is my is is my point I'm trying to make. 
Right. So, um, I mean, I have my thoughts and you guys already know what my thoughts are on this because I sent them to you. Any other thoughts uh, about what, what Pentecost means? It means a gathering, means a beginning of turning back the curse. What else? And if you say some of mine, it's okay. Well, no, but I mean, you know, it I'll, is... I'll let you take credit for it, Tim. <laughs> well, no, so so it's it. I mean, it's like you said. I mean, I think you even used the terminology a new creation. So ultimately, I mean, when you think about what was lost in the garden, what was what was the garden? The garden was a temple. It was a place of worship. It was a place where man met God and God met man right there, right here on Earth. And what is what is Pentecost? Um, again, going back into the un, the unrolling or the rolling back of the curse, it is again God. It, it is because Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. God literally now dwells in us. Right, and he, he, even you can go from the garden to the tabernacle in the wilderness to the temple of of the Jews, and but what's happening here though is that the temple is becoming universalized. Sure. It's going to be, it's not yet, but it, it will be one day. And right. as God gathers in more and more believers, that temple is going to be universalized. And, and this is the idea when, you know, when he says, when he talks about, he's going to pour out a spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters, young men, old men, um, male servants, female servants, he's going to pour out a spirit on everyone. That's the whole point of that is the universality of the pouring out of the spirit. Right. Whereas right. in the, in the old Testament, it was not that you can contain God in some building or a tent or even a garden that God himself made, but it's like the, the tabernacle has been opened up. The temple has been opened up. The, the garden has now been opened up so that that garden can become God's kingdom all over the entire earth. And it's right. because of, it's because of the work of the spirit. He's going to universalize the temple. If that makes sense. Yeah, no. I, yeah, absolutely. Matthew, you're looking very thoughtful there. Did you have something to add? Well, you mean you mentioned it, but you have this idea at Pentecost that it's God's, using of the spirit to demonstrate that Jesus was actually true. So you bring this empowerment so that the apostles can harness the power of God for a season as a demonstration that everything Jesus said, he was actually telling the truth. And so that you have believers. Now this leads to a conversation we can have some other time about when the power goes away, but you still have this empowerment at that point of Pentecost. Right. But even I know what you're saying. <laughs> Not all these uh, gifts continue, right? Which we'll talk about in a later episode. But most people admit at least some of the gifts don't continue. So, right. So that, in that sense, it's not shouldn't be that controversial. But the gifts may go away, as in they're not present in modern day, but they were then, right? Right. So we still preach the same gospel that was proven by the miraculous even though we don't have the miracles present here to to show people today that's the same gospel that we preach the gospel that was demonstrated by the power of the spirit through miracles in the times of the 
the apostles to show that these guys were the messengers of God and they need to be listened to. And that's the same message we preach. So even if, even if the gift itself isn't pre- currently here, the effects remain. They don't go away. We still have the miracle-attested gospel to preach. So, and, and obviously the Spirit is central to that. So, any other ideas? No, I, I think I think uh, for for our purposes, where we are, I think that pretty much covers uh, covers everything. Don't I guess then the only thing I'd like to add is we've talked about this, but I think it's a, a lot of what we're saying is has to do with um, what happened in the past or what's going to happen in the future. But this is the age of the spirit, and I, I think. If the theme of the Old Testament is judgment, renewal, repentance, and that's what the time of the Spirit is going to be, that means right now is a time of renewal, repentance, and judgment. Not final judgment, obviously, but but right now is the time of grace. Right now is the time of repentance. Now is the time the Spirit is doing this work, and isn't that what Jesus said, though, in John? I mean, that, that, that is, you know, giving testament to, to exactly what Jesus said. You know, uh, Jesus talks about when he, the spirit of truth, shall come, you know, and then he lists what the spirit's work is going to be. I mean, he lists, you know, judgment. He lists, um, you know, the, the conviction of sin and, and uh, upon the world and, and, and things like that. So, so, I mean, what you're saying is, is obviously in line with what our Lord taught um, in, the, in the Gospels. Well, I'm glad of that. Well, good. <laughs> I- not a heretic, at least. Yeah, I don't mind teaching contrary to some people, but Jesus is one person I try to try to say the same thing as he does. So, um, all right. So we we've discussed the Old Testament, and New Testament background, discussed uh, the meaning to some degree of the coming of the Spirit. Um, so, how did it change from the Old Testament? How did the work of the Spirit? change from the old testament to the new testament now i don't i don't know what where you're at with this tim you know my answer because it's yeah it's right there (laughs) written out here for you to see but um usually it comes down to um did the holy spirit indwell believers as he does today Um, in the old testament in the old testament so it looks like and I say this having um, and and finishing up um, within the next couple of weeks, I'll finish up preaching through first Samuel. Um, it appears that the spirit's work, whether it be in judges or in first Samuel or in other places in the old Testament, that the spirit's work is in fact um, um, different. So for instance, uh, in first Samuel, where it says that the spirit came upon Saul, it does not necessarily mean that Saul that that Saul was was a saved and sealed man, as in our in our day, but rather it seems and appears that Saul was see, was was given the spirit to empower him to accomplish the task that God had set set before him, uh, and 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 I know there's a lot more we could say there, but but it seems to be like um, I mean Samson is another good example, although I think there is a distinction even between Samson and Saul, um, and I know I know you have this down to talk about, but. Um, you know, so as you look at throughout the Old Testament and David himself, 
sees what God did to Saul in taking the Holy Spirit away from him. And David, David is sincerely afraid that God would do the same to him. And that's why you read in Psalm 51, you know, he's praying, God, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me because he, he's seen what it, what, what that did to Saul. It literally drove Saul mad. And because, I mean, and, and there's other things there, you know, Saul was also afflicted with an evil spirit from the Lord. Uh, and, and there's, you know, there, there's a lot that you could go into, but just keeping a surface level, I, I would just say, I think it's very clear that the spirit did in fact work in, in very distinct ways that are, that are, that are in some ways very similar to the old, to the new Testament, but also very distinct from the new Testament. It sounds to me like you're saying that, um, the spirit in the old Testament, one of the differences is the spirit in the old Testament only temporarily indwelt believers. Yeah. Well, I think that's certainly possible. Yeah. Okay. And that, yes, that, so I think what you're saying is the, is the normal view, the popular view. And sadly, even my um, beloved RC Sproul says the same thing as you do, but um, I I think you and RC Sproul are wrong. (laughs) I'm in good company. So yeah, it's not every day that I disagree with Sproul, but so one of the things we have to be careful of when we're talking about this is the, the work of the spirit indwelling, uh, the spirit indwelling, the spirit sanctifying, the spirit regenerating. These are different works of the spirit. Mm. You, you do agree that anybody who saved, whether old Testament or new Testament was regenerated by the spirit, right? Yeah. I'm not a dispensationalist. (laughs) Yes. Right. So we're not disagreeing about matters that come to salvation, right? No. We're disagreeing on a, a work of the spirit that may or may not have anything to do with salvation. Right. My argument is that the spirit does, does work essentially the same in both the old and new Testament. And especially when it comes to indwelling that not especially, but that's where we need to focus because that's usually the argument that this is what the spirit is doing new, but my reading of these same passages that you read makes it seem to me as if when the spirit is coming upon men like Saul and Samson, it sounds almost the same as uh, spiritual gifts that he's gifting them for a certain task. Uh, Once that, once that task is fulfilled, the spirit is no longer present in power like that. It almost sounds to me like, what is talked about in the new Testament in the sense of being filled with the spirit, because in acts, when they are filled with this, when the apostles are filled with the spirit, then they preach the gospel boldly. Right. Okay. And it, they're obviously not always filled to the spirit. There must be a way of getting more of the spirit. If that even makes sense. Uh, it seems, so I, it seems was, to me like that's more what's happening and that the spirit doesn't indwell believers. Okay. So so maybe I should clarify when I say that he, that he comes and goes, I don't mean, I I mean that he is in his work. Yeah. I, I think that his, his work is different in the sense that 
and I think again, Saul, Saul is a different case, but, yeah. but again, with Samson, so Samson, I don't think ever lost the spirit. Um, so I think, I think there are cases when, when e- even on, in my position, I would grant, I would grant what you're saying. Um, so, so I just want to make that clear. I, I, there, there are certainly places like Samuel and, uh, even Samson and those guys who, who I think it's clear never lost the spirit. The spirit was never taken from them. I, I, so let me, I just want to clarify that I, I do grant, I do grant what, what you're saying. Well, in my foundation is that if you don't have the spirit, you're not, you're not part of Christ. So the old Testament believers, unless you want to argue that's changed and in the no, no, not at all. No, I, I, I would then, not argue that. Then the, the Old Testament believers had to have the spirit in, in, the, in the indwelling sense. And maybe the problem is we're not being real clear about what indwelling means. And Well, maybe, but, but I mean, but, you know, then would, would it be correct in your view to say that uh, you would view their uh, or the... Um, like you said, you said feeling, but, but so the new Testament says not to grieve uh, and not to quench the Holy spirit. So would, so then would, would your view then go more toward that's what was happening was a quenching yes. or a, a grieving of the spirit versus yes. the spirit actually coming and going. Okay. Ultimately my position is that there's not enough evidence in the old Testament to, to say that it was temporary. Okay. Okay. Uh, because of the nature of the old Testament. The work of the spirit is unclear. It's become clear in the New Testament. So we understand things from the New Testament that we may not understand from the old. And I just don't see enough evidence to say definitively that the difference between the spirit now and the spirit then was that he, he only dwelt people de- temporarily. We okay. see some examples of that. But then again, then the question comes up, okay, what does it mean that the spirit came upon them? Because we have examples in the new Testament of the spirit coming upon people. So I, my default position is that this God works the same way, in both the old and new testaments. The only difference is one is looking forward. One is looking backwards. Well, not the only difference, but the main difference. Okay. So I don't see any reason to say that the spirit acted any differently in the old new Testament, but there are some things that everybody agrees on that are different. For example, the old Testament was earthly and external. The new Testament is spiritual internal. The spirit's work in the believer's heart is a more prevailing and, and pervading manner than what, what it was in the old Testament. I mean, you read the, you read from Jeremiah, where he talks about the new covenant, there's, there's obviously a, a greater sense of intimacy. We already talked about the first fact that the Spirit's work in the New Testament is universal and not limited to mostly Israel. There's no more divisions like priest and king and prophet uh, where they have the Spirit and the ordinary people don't have the Spirit in the same measure. Everybody has the Spirit in the same measure in the new Testament, there are obviously differences, but my contention is that, um, it's not, it's not in the manner of indwelling. I, I, which you, you're fine until you get to Saul and a few others. Well, even with, 
even with Saul, you know, God gives common grace gifts as well. So true. And, and, and who's to say that God can't work through an unbeliever? No, right. And that brings up the thorny question, whether Saul is an unbeliever or not, because I, I can read that pat read those passages and think he certainly is a horrible unbeliever. But then I read it again and go, well, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, (laughs) you're right. He's a, he's a, a difficult case for sure. So, but I, I don't think, you know, God can use this, do what he wants with whom he wants. Sure. Even, I mean, look, he made a donkey talk and made a, a false prophet uh, speak truth. Yep. So be grateful for the revelation of the spirit that he seeks to work as he did in the Old Testament, even now in our day and into the future. We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to your questions, your comments, and even that dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But for now, we thank you once again for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, We're striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.